Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. Sometimes specialization is like solving a multivariate equation. You're trying to solve for multiple variables. Now, sometimes it's simple. You're picking a market where you have a head start and doubling down on serving that market. But as I said, sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes it's like trying to balance multiple things, one of which is an expertise head start. And then the other is trying to find a market where that expertise is a particularly good fit. Or more broadly, where just the way the market works is a good fit for your business. I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with Dale Bertrand. And Dale is a really great example of finding that balance iterating his way towards that balance. As you listen to this conversation with Dale, there's a lot in it, some of which is just how, as an introvert, do you make use of social situations like meetups to learn about a market, to validate a potential specialization? And some of it is how do you do validation when you're not in person, when you're using tools like email? So that's some of the conversation and some of it is really just this broader story of iterating your way towards a really good fit between your current skill set, the future direction you'd like that skill set to go, and the overall fit of the market and the way it works, and getting all of that stuff to work together. I really enjoyed my conversation with Dale, and I think you'll get a lot from it as well. Here we go, my conversation with Dale Bertrand. Dale Bertrand, welcome to the program. Hey, nice to uh, nice to talk again, Philip. And it's been a while. It's been several years. So, uh, Dale, for the folks at home, who are you and what do you do? So I am a consultant. So we do SEO for e-commerce. So we work with a bunch of e-commerce brands, uh, basically, to drive traffic. Awesome. Okay. So... That's not um, what you've always done. When when we spoke last, the focus was different. So I'd like to kind of wind the clock back uh, so that the folks at home have some kind of context on how you got to where you are today. So when you like, you, you like the rest of us, I think, have a background as a generalist, right? Like just kind of general digital marketing. Yeah. And before that, I was into software. So I was actually first job started off writing software. Really? What uh, what kind of software and what language? So a lot of languages, but I think the primarily what I was doing was C plus plus, and okay. I was building you know models of hardware, software simulators of hardware. Wow, interesting. Okay, so when you when you kind of moved out of the generalist digital marketer phase, what was the what was the first like destination in terms of of a market specialization? Well, I think the way that I really thought about it at the time was more along the lines of my skill set. Okay. So I was really, um, within digital marketing, I was excited about pay-per-click advertising. This this was a while back when AdWords uh, really just first came onto the scene. Okay. So I was trying to figure out, like, should I be doing online advertising? Should I be building websites, which is something I did for a while? Mm-hmm. Uh, or should I be optimizing sites? So like getting to conversion rate optimization. And then also I ended up doing SEO because a friend of mine was really into it. And he told me that it was going to be important and, and I should learn about it. Mm. And 
really early on, SEO ended up being something that a lot of people asked me for help with. Okay. And that's, that's how I ended up learning it, just trying to figure out how to answer questions. And then also I was building my own website, so I cared about SEO for my sites. Right. But, but back then, and this is like eight years ago when I first started doing consulting, I was spending just as much time with, with email marketing, Google AdWords, and, and, um, and SEO, and basically all of the above, and building websites. Right. Right. So that's, here, here's what I want to point out for folks who are listening. Like, this is a really common situation where you're really clear about where you have a kind of skill set superpower. And I, I think, Dale, for you, the process was like trying to find a, a ver- mar- vertical market where that skill made a lot of sense, right? Is that kind of how you were thinking about it? Yeah. I mean, the way I was thinking about it was I was trying to match this kind of triad of what I was interested in and what I was actually good at. And then also what the market was, was willing to pay me for. Right. Right. And we, I, I mean, you're, you're now looking back on this with the benefit of hindsight. Do you think it's possible to just figure that out or did it, does it really take some experimentation to figure it out? Oh, there's no way that I could have figured out like where I am now. Right. Um, and like thought my way to it. Like, for example, like imagine if I had sat down uh, eight years ago when I quit my job and decided that I was going to do freelancing. If I had sat down and wrote a business plan for like right. <laughs> what I was about to do, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, it was almost a decade of experimentation. So can you kind of um, walk us through the, like what did the various experiments look like at, at the major points on this timeline? Um, so in the beginning I was literally going to startup events in Boston. So mm-hmm. I think I was trying to figure out how do I fit into the market? Um, and around here, the easiest way um, I should mention that I'm in Kendall square in Cambridge, like um, literally on MIT's campus, which is where my office is. Right. Um, Kendall Square is a lot of tech startups, a lot of VCs, a lot of universities. Um, you know, Harvard, MIT, Boston University, all of that. Right. So a lot of students, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of investors. So the easiest community for me to plug into was the startup community. Right. Um, and I had worked at a few startups uh, when when I had a, a real job, and um, so that was really the easiest place for me to plug in. So I was just going to startup events and meeting as many people as I could. And back then, I didn't know if I was going to start my own software company or continue to do the freelancing consulting work that I had been doing on the side. Mm-hmm. So, so the experiment for me then was to talk to people at these events, tell them about who I am and what I do. And I was really looking for feedback. Like I wanted, what I really wanted was some, for somebody to hire me. Right. <laughs> as a consultant. Yes. So I could, you know, could do more of this, this digital marketing freelance work because I'd much rather have uh, freelance work than, than an actual nine to five job. That's what I really wanted. Right. Um, but I was listening, I was describing the, who I am and what, I, what I'm good at um, in my background. I was describing that in different ways to different people. Right. And I, would, I, made it, I made, my plan was to go to three of these events a week. Um, at each event, I could meet 10 or 20 people, talk about myself and just figure out how, how they react. Right. And, I, and doing that, I mean, I did that for months. Okay. Um, and I was really able to figure out how to sell myself through all of those interactions. And I ended up landing um, just an amazing 20 hour week consulting gig. That was just perfect for me. 
okay, can I, I want to stop you there and ask you to break that down a little bit. Um, I forget whether you're more of an introvert or extrovert, Dale. Um, Definitely an introvert. Okay. So you're, well, you're in good company. You're speaking, I think, to a group that's probably majority introvert. And they're going to hear, went to meetups, blah, 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 got a bunch of work, and they're going to wonder uh, how exactly did that happen. So if you could break it down a little more, how did yeah, you yeah. – Yeah, just kind of go into that a little more. The very first one I went to was like a, a meetup for web developers in Boston. There were probably 30 people in the room. Mm-hmm. I was sweating because I was nervous. <laughs> um, you have to remember that, you know, I was a programmer for 10 years. So I literally sat in front of a computer and typed all day. Yes. And then, and then I knew that I wanted to, to ditch that job and do something more independent and do something more social because yes. I just hated being, feeling isolated. Okay. Um, I describe myself as an introvert because I don't do well in those types of situations okay. um, where, you know, crowded group sort of thing. So yeah. um, I just forced myself to do it and I shook some hands and really what helped me was I did Toastmasters at the same time, okay. which is also a really hard experience for me because you have to get up and talk in front of like, you know, 10 or 20 people at each meeting. Yeah. But I did that at the same time and I just got over it. And now I don't, I'm not the type of person. I'm not the type of person who like gets energy from a room full of people. Right. But I'm the type of person who knows how to do it. Right. And it's so super valuable that I do it a bunch. So as you're introducing yourself, you know, go, your your goal is three meetups a week, maybe twenty people per meetup. What sort of uh, feedback cues are you looking for that help oh, you iterate your maybe. way? You can tell just by the way people. So I, I remember introducing myself as, you know, I'm Dale Bertrand. I'm going to start a software company. Here's what I'm going to do. And people kind of yawned. Uh-huh. And then I remember saying, you know, I'm, hi, I'm Dale Bertrand. I'm a web developer. And then people say, oh, I need help with web. De- let me ask you some questions. I mean, uh-huh. hey, that's great. And then I also remember telling people that I, that I worked in high performance computing. I mean, that's, that's the, the software models that I was building when I was working as a developer right. and people would ask, people would respond really well to that too. Okay. Um, so I said a lot of things, all of them true, but just a lot of different dimensions of what I did. And I really honed in on things people don't care about and things people do care about. That's great. Yeah. I think of, you know, a diamond with different facets and it's all the same stone. You're just, showing off different facets at different times. Yeah, absolutely. So how did that lead you to SEO? Because I didn't hear you say the SEO facet in there, but maybe that's something you were doing. Like, how how did you get there to the SEO work? So, So, I mean, SEO was technical work that I was doing on my own websites. Right. And I also had a friend that I was helping with it. So really with SEO, it was kind of, it was one of those things that I couldn't ignore because I knew people who were asking me to do it. You know, I also um, studied AI in grad school. Mm-hmm. So people would just ask me about it. And it, it really, it came to me more than I came to it. Okay. Um, it, you know, it was necessary for the websites I was building. Uh, when, when I got this contracting gig after doing all this, the meetups and socializing, yeah. they, they asked me to help them with it too, just because it was one of many things they were doing for digital marketing. Got it. Okay. So um, at some point you and I spoke and I I think you were at that point kind of starting a journey towards how can I find a vertical market 
to focus on, right? Yes, yes. What kind of, what led you to that point of wanting to like further specialize beyond just SEO? Well, because the thing was back then, I didn't, I wasn't focused on SEO. I mean, fo- focusing on SEO, it's it's something that I've been learning for a long time, but it's mm-hmm. one of many skills that I've been honing for a long time. Right. So the focus on SEO was more recent. Mm. Back then when you and I talked in just timeframes, like, you know, f- maybe four or five, six years ago kind of right. time. Frame. Yeah. Um, back then, what I had really picked up on is that, People were responding well when I told them I had an engineering background uh-huh. and I was doing digital marketing. Right. And when they heard those two things together, some people latched onto it because they were running a technical company and they wanted like they wanted a tech person to run their marketing. So when I told people about my engineering background and I was doing digital marketing, if they were in like the selling perfume or jewelry, they would kind of yawn and look the other way. Right. But if they were, and I'm just thinking specifically, you know, I met somebody who was building water filters. I met somebody else who was building simulation software. Um, If they were in the engineering space, they would, they'd get really interested because they had, they had never met an engineer that switched from engineering to marketing. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, so you were an insider to their world. Yeah, and that was really the first thing that I picked up on. So when you and I had talked, uh, Philip, like I was trying to, you know, I had my first successful consulting gig. I was trying to figure out how to get more. And what I realized was that like the engineering space was really the right space for me, or I thought, and it was at the time. So the first move that I made was really selling myself as an engineer that had switched over to digital marketing. And if you were an engineer starting a company, because remember, I was focused on startups at the time, then I was your guy because I spoke your language. I would understand your product. And if, especially if you were selling to engineers, I would understand your your, your customers. Right. So let's talk a little bit about executing that kind of change. Um, You know, particularly from an SEO perspective, whenever you make a change, you're you're always sort of leaving something behind. And I'm curious, did you feel like, oh gosh, I'm leaving behind this, uh, you know, this work I could be doing or this sort of general appeal? Was redoing the website a big deal? I, so I did later on when I ditched engineering mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> or, or focusing on engineering clients. But at this point, the, the time frame you and I are talking about where I was a year or two into doing consulting, yeah. I, I was just having a hard time finding clients right. and going from being a complete generalist to uh, somebody who's focused on engineering tech and tech startups. That was a breath of fresh air because okay. now all of a sudden I had clients. Nice. Okay. And how, how were they finding you? Was it referrals or, you know, a combination of that plus online, you know, digital stuff? How did most of your clients find you? Yeah. I mean, so initially when I was doing a lot of events, it was just people literally that I met in a room and I shook their hand and I, I did a lot of that more than I'm willing to admit. And I got got like a total of like two or three clients out of it. Right. Okay. Three. But, you know, I did good work for them and everything else was referrals mm-hmm. um, in the engineering space. Um, so that that really worked out. Yeah. And that's the way I did it in the beginning, just depended on those referrals. Yeah. 
Yeah, which, you know, usually the vertical focus amplifies the ability of referrals to bring you work just because you've got people talking to their peers at other companies or sort of taking you with them when they change jobs, that kind of thing. Yeah. So things sound good at this point in the story. What changes that pushes you to a different market focus? Yeah. So, I mean, what happened? So it was good. And I think what happened was I hired a couple people. Okay. So it's good. I can't complain. It's good enough that I have two full-time employees working with me. Right. And we're focused on serving startups and focus on these engineering companies. And then, you know, I start to realize that working for startups is not, not, not the best. Okay. <laughs> so um, that, that was really turned into an issue. I mean, there were, were a couple that, you know, ran out of money, couldn't pay us. There were, um, it was just always volatile. And I think really what I think happened was I had my first consulting client that was a, a huge publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. And that went so much better than all of my other startup clients in, in every way. I mean, they paid more, they paid on time. They, um, the project was a, was a year and a half long rather than the super quick one-off projects that I would do for startups. So I just, all of a sudden I realized that I wanted to get out of the startup space. Got it. That was the first thing. So what I started to do was look for larger engineering companies. Right. And I actually had some very good success there. Um, the place that I had success was that I started, I did, I worked with one CAD company that did really well. Mm -hmm. Um, they ended up getting bought by a huge publicly traded company. And I used that as my big case study. And based on that, I was able to get a whole bunch of clients in the CAD space and life is good. I've got, you know, I'm up to like two or three employees now and we're doing well, but what happened was we really hit a wall with it where Mm -hmm if I wanted to grow beyond the two or three people we were at the time, the, this engineering market that I was in mostly CAD companies, like it was done. Like I actually went through the exercise of researching all of the CAD companies that I would, I would could be working with. Right. And I made a list. I contacted all of them. I was able to get on the phone with a, a huge number of them. It was actually great. But then I was done. Like there was just no one else that cared about that case study that I was using to get all these clients. Interesting. What kind of um, roughly, what kind of market size do you think we're talking about? Like with CAD companies, um, are you talking about like service providers where? Yeah, some of them. I mean, some of them were, you know, prototype manufacturing shops. Okay. Other other ones were software companies that sold CAD software. There's just not that many of those. Okay. And then the other ones were in the 3D printing space. So like MakerBot was one of my clients um, if, and a bunch of 3D printing companies were my clients, but there are only so many of them. Interesting. I, had, I, had, I had a list. I literally had a spreadsheet of 300 of them yeah. and I tried repeatedly to contact all of them. I ended up working with maybe a dozen of them. Okay. And then we were really tapped out. Yeah, that is, um, that is definitely on the small side for a market. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on the mix of services that you're offering, but yeah. Yeah. And and remember at the time I was still pretty general in terms of the number of services that we offered. I mean, I would do anything related to digital marketing that they asked us to do. Got it. Okay. So at some point you're like, okay, this is too small. What, what do you do next? 
Well, we, we at that point, um, the key thing at that point is that I had success in that mm-hmm. cab market. Right. So I understood that I needed to find another market like that, but it was just had, just had more opportunity. Right. So we tried a lot of them. Like I remember um, building a list of startups and going after that. I remember um, going into ed- education technology. That was one where we had success. Yeah. But just uh, for, I, I, I can't really put my finger on the reason why we didn't have like breakout success. Right. But, you know, it just didn't seem like a huge market, even though it was bigger than CAD. And we, it wasn't as easy as sell, even though we did have a few clients. So, but we, we made an effort to go after education technology. I, I really think what it was, was so many of the people that I talked to that were education technology companies, they just didn't have money. Right. Um, and maybe that makes sense. A lot of them are thinking like nonprofits. Got it. Okay. So, so we, we made a big push there and that one didn't work out. And then pretty organically, we realized that we're just getting more and more of these uh, e-commerce clients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually you get one, you get two, you get three. And then we realized, well, wait a minute, a lot of those a lot of those CAD companies were really e-commerce, like, um, you know, MakerBot, we worked on their e-commerce site, and right. same with some of the other ones. So, so once I, once I realized that, you know, e-commerce was a market and we were already doing work there and we were doing really good work there, then that made a lot of sense as something for me to try. And when we tried it, it just felt like everything worked, but I w- but one thing that's super, super important is I wouldn't have realized how, how good that market is if I hadn't worked in all those other markets. Yeah, you had those as a backdrop to compare to. Yeah, yeah. And it's so much more than, you know, can we deliver the service? It's also like, are there partners? Do the partners care? Are there vendors that are selling the software that my clients are using that I can partner with? Mm-hmm. All of the above. I mean, do we have case studies in that in that area? Um, do people in this market care? Um, all of that. So let's let's stop here for a moment and kind of dig into what did testing these different markets actually look like? Because this wasn't just on paper. What's the market size? It sounds like you were. No, no, you, not at all. We didn't do any of that. Yeah, you're being far more proactive. It sounds to me like. So what what would you do to test? A market like how did you test ed tech, for example? So for ed tech, we made a list of ed tech companies. Okay, and we had two lists. We had one in the Boston area because we thought we had a better chance with those. Yeah, and then we had one that was national. And we sent email, like we sent an email to each of them, telling them about um, you know some of the big name companies that we've worked with in the space. Right. So remember, like the ticket to a market for us was one client. Right. So I, at this point, after I'd been doing this for like three or four years, I had a number of different clients that I had worked with. And I looked at every client that I would work with and I said, what market are they in? Are they somebody I could brag about? Did we get results for them that I could brag about? And I found several of them. One was a particular client that we had in the tech space that we had worked with that everybody in that space has heard of. Right. And I sent some emails just saying, hey, you know, here's what we do. We do digital marketing. We focus on education technology. We just did a project for XYZ company that you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
would you like to talk? And right. that actually worked. Um, there's a, there is a low response rate to those emails, like, you know, five or 10%, sure. but that's good enough. And we ended up getting a handful of clients. How, how do you put a list like that together? You know, for the folks at home who are wondering how you actually do that, do you go to LinkedIn and search for companies there or, or what? Yeah. So we, I actually think LinkedIn would be a great way to do it, but that's not how we did it. We use Google. So um, all, all of the above, I mean, we were basically searching for education software. I mean, one thing we did was we looked for conferences uh-huh. that those companies would attend, right. especially like software companies in the education space. Um, we looked at, we, we well, yeah, I remember now, like what we really did was we made a list of education technology conferences, and then we made a list of all the exhibitors that were listed on the website and all the speakers that were listed on the website. Yeah. And, and specifically the companies that they work for. Beautiful. Okay. That, that's super actionable. Thank you. Okay. So, you know, five, 10% response rate on, on cold email. And that, that was enough of a sign of life or what did that got you conversations that gave you the sense that this could work? Yeah. I mean, we got a few clients out of it, mm-hmm. so it absolutely, it worked. Right. Um, it's, it's just that, they weren't clients that we were excited about. I think when we looked at that market, there were a number of big players and then everybody else was either a nonprofit or a poorly funded startup. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just so like, once you have that list and you're looking at it and I'm on the phone with them, you really start to get the sense that it's just not, this market is not going to support us growing to a bigger business. I, I love how you're this introvert doing all these things that make most introverts like really uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, cold emailing people. It, it's really impressive. Um, well, what I did with the emailing, because I am afraid to get all the, so anytime you send emails like that, like you're going to get nasty responses. Yeah. Um, like I actually got one where the woman said, I don't want to be on your list. And I said, well, there is an unsubscribe button. Do you want me to press it for you? Or do you want to press it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, so, yeah, I mean, that sucks, but um, I was afraid of it. So I hired an intern and I had him do it. Ah, the honest truth. Elegant solution. Love that. And what I would do is I would never look at the responses. I would have them forward to me the positive responses, but I didn't want to look at the negative ones. That's great. That's a great use of, of, of an intern's uh, ability to, to take a little punishment. <laughs> yeah, because they don't care. And I'm not this way anymore because I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. But back then, anytime somebody like said no in any kind of way, um, I would take it very, very personally. Yeah. It's like sure. I, I put my myself out there. I put my experience out there. I put my skill set out there. And you said no. Like I won't even get on the phone with you. Right. And that's right so that's why that's i don't feel that way now like i'm over it now but yeah for the for many years that's the way i felt so i just i had interns do it nice okay so you wind up focused on e-commerce because it well you said it just kind of clicked that you didn't use those exact words but um you said there were like partners there. Can you kind of flesh out like what, what exactly yeah. you were looking for? Well, for this is definitely a case where you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Right. You can't connect the dots looking forwards. So like, yeah, everything made sense. But my experience going through it was that I was having conversations with 
various people trying to understand, um, like for example, having having conversations with other agency owners and trying mm-hmm. to understand how they chose their specialization. And then I was also having conversations with our clients and trying to understand where they were getting the most value out of our services and also what services they wanted from us. Because remember, like, you know, for the most part, we were willing to do anything at that time that was related to digital marketing. Right. So the way I experienced it was I was just having a lot of conversations with a lot of people and just frustrated and trying to struggling with trying to figure out how this all makes sense and what it all means. Right. Looking backwards on it, all the pieces really fit together because as soon as we started working with e-commerce companies, we, there were just like natural partners for us. Yeah. And right now we get a lot of business through, through partners. Um, and then also there was kind of a niche that made a lot of sense for us in the space. And then there were also a, a few big software players that had e-commerce platforms, uh, specifically, you know, Shopify, Magento, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, that we could partner with and they would send us clients. Right. And it's like, wow, I didn't have that when I was in the engineering space. I didn't have that when I was in the ed tech space. Like, it's, it's, so that's just a breath of fresh air. And, you know, I wasn't looking for that, but it happened. And I realized how valuable it was. Awesome. There's something you said I'm interested in. It it takes a a bit of vulnerability to be hired by a client for your expertise, but then to go back to them and say, you know, actually there's something we could learn from you, which is, you know, what kind of services do you want or that sort of thing? Like how, how exactly would you set up those kind of conversations with clients where you're trying to learn from them what they need from you? Well, so they actually love it. If you, if you, if you um, frame it in the right way. Okay. So what, what I do now is I try to do quarterly calls with all of our clients uh-huh. um, and, and we have an agency now. So there's like seven of us um, who are account managers. Everybody's working on different accounts, right. but I try to call them to see how things are going. Yeah. So I'll email a client and I'll say, you know, we, we haven't talked in a few months. Um, I just want to do a 15-minute uh, quarterly check-in to make sure everything's going fine. And if this is the first time that I'm emailing them about this, I'll say, you know, normally in one of these check-ins, you know, we we find a way to serve you better. We might swap out the staff on your project, uh, or we might find a way to add value that we we didn't know about. So basically, when I'm asking them to take this call, it's all about I'm talking about all the ways that this call could benefit them. Right. And, you know, for, for the most part, you know, some of them have issues. They're like, oh, yeah, I have an issue I want to talk about. Other times they just want to rave about their account manager because they've got a great relationship and they just want the opportunity to say nice things about this person to me, their mm-hmm. boss. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I have that conversation, I ask them exactly what I said I would. You know, how are things going? Um, are there any additional things we can help you out with? How do you like the the staff on my team that you're working with? And then naturally I can steer the conversation towards, well, you know, what are, how are we adding the most value? Like in the context of that conversation, I can ask questions around uh, like what additional services can we offer? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, what, what are your plans for 2019? And you know, how, how could we be a part of that, that sort of thing, but it has to be natural. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Thank you. So, you found a vertical where the ecosystem in that vertical is a good fit for you and your company. 
and your expertise is a good fit for that ecosystem. So how does your expertise move the needle for a client? Like what, what kind of, what are the results end of things look like? Yeah, it's always more sales. So, um, you know, we're an e-commerce marketing agency. Most of what we do is SEO. You know, we also do a little bit of PPC. Um, We, in what our clients want is they want more sales. So it's all about customer acquisition. Mm -hmm. So what we want to be able to say is, you know, we're showing year over year growth for uh, from organic sales from um, organic search traffic so for example i mean the case study on my website you know there's a there's a client we worked with where their sales from organic went up 87 percent you know in the first six months that we were working with them that's awesome that's obviously like an outstanding home run result so that's why we brag about it on the homepage of our of our website um so so that that sort of thing so when you're talking to like a prospective client, is that generally the focus of the, like the sales conversation is, or, or do they come to you for different reasons? So they really do come for different reasons. Uh-huh. So I'm right now, like among the people that send me referrals, I'm known as kind of a digital marketing guy. Right. But remember like referrals are coming from a bunch of different places, but if they come from somebody that I know, um, the people I know just know me as a digital marketing guy. So I get, I get everything, right. You know, not just e-commerce, the agencies that we partner with know us as an e-commerce SEO agency. Uh huh. So they will refer somebody to us when they have an SEO problem. Um, and that SEO problem is either maybe something's broken, so they just lost half their traffic, or they they want to grow from where they are, or or they're doing a redesign and they want to make sure they don't lose their traffic during a redesign. Got it. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about how your expertise has changed as a result of specialization. Um. Let's see. I'm trying to figure out what's what's the starting point here. Like, you know, some people I think are going to think of SEO and they're going to think, oh, I get these emails from these company, these offshore companies that are trying to sell me SEO. Like, what's the difference between a, a re, maybe they are real SEO experts and maybe they aren't. Um, and I'd hate to lump them all in one bucket. But like, what's the difference between someone who's really an expert in SEO and someone who's not? I guess that's where I want to start, Dale. Is yeah, that well? I, so I, I, I can't judge people I don't know. I mean, yeah. there are definitely people overseas who are emailing who actually know what they're doing. Okay, right? that's the marketing. Um, you know, I, the way I always lump SEO people in two camps: like there are content-based SEO people who are um, coming from more of a creative background uh-huh. and trying to write good content that that ranks for the right keywords to drive traffic. Okay. And then there are people like me who are technically technically based. So I'm I'm about you know building the right technical pra- background. Oh, sorry, building the right technical platform. Okay. And then um, also so that involves fixing any issues with crawling or indexation or internal linking, and then also figuring out how to do link building so you increase the authority of the site, and then also giving recommendations for content to be developed but then I'm relying on a content person to actually write that content, not me. Right, right. So my background is super technical uh, compared to a lot of people that are in the SEO space. Interesting. Okay. 
Yeah, because there was this, I think this, I don't know if it's fair, but there was this perception for a while that like, oh, anybody can do SEO. I, I don't know if you run into that, but. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly <laughs> projects I work on that are gr- just a great fit for my my skill set. Right. And then there are projects that really just need more of the right content and they would be, they they could move the needle or or more links to the website. And that would move the needle. So it right. really, it really depends on what you're doing. Right. So what does the learning curve look like as you get to the level of expertise where you are? Is it kind of like a linear curve or is there a lot of learning at the beginning and then it sort of tapers off or you know, what does I that look like? Always, always learning because I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of technical stuff to learn. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how Google, like just as a quick example, um, one hot topic right now is how Google indexes pages that are very heavy with JavaScript. Okay. So if you've got a JavaScript front end or you're using a JavaScript heavy front end uh, framework, then that could prevent Google from crawling and indexing all of your pages. So not only do you want to understand how to code in JavaScript in order to figure this out, but you really have to keep up with the changes in the way that Google is um, is indexing and, and rendering JavaScript. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's just changing on a regular basis. Right. So it, there's really always learning. It's just like in software development where software is just always changing. Right. How much, you know, as you work with e-commerce in particular, how much of their business model matters to you and how much of it is just sort of raw technical expertise that, it just doesn't matter what their business looks like. Well, for a lot of e-commerce sites, they're really selling a product. And what I care about is their margins on their products. So we okay. can understand, you know, how much, how much of their margin we're re- willing to spend on advertising or, or, or the customer acquisition costs. Mm-hmm. Or in this case, we're talking about SEO. So right. how much marketing can their business support? But there are a lot of sites where the business model really does matter because I end up working for a lot of product companies that are subscription-based. And now all of a sudden the business model matters because, um, it, you know, are they, are, are, is it a subscription-based product or is there a subscription model where there's a service attached to it? Uh-huh. And all of that will determine, um, just from a financial perspective, how how they're going to be able to go about their marketing. Right. And and the reason why that's so important is like all the different, and I'm talking about more than SEO now, right? But yeah. all the different channels that they could be leveraging for their marketing are going to have different costs associated with them and also different timeline, level of investment, you know, quality of the customers generated, all of that sort of thing. And the, the, um, the cost, the sorry, the budget that they can put towards customer acquisition is determined by their business model, and that will determine which of these channels are available to them. So, in in a sales conversation, does does that kind of knowledge start to give you an advantage when you're yeah, big, big time? I mean. What's interesting about my business is like there's a lot of digital marketing agencies uh-huh. and the people that tend to hire us are people who just fired their old agency. <laughs> like if they, if they come to me cold and I'm the first digital marketing person they ever talked to, yeah. they're, they're just not going to be able to even evaluate what I say. And then, and when they ask me how much it's going to cost, I give them a big number and they get scared away. Right. 
But if they have had any experience with digital marketing and they've worked with an agency that maybe they were a low cost agency, but they just didn't see the results that they wanted, yeah. then they're going to, they're going to put more of a value on the expertise that we bring. And they're, they're also going to understand why we charge what we charge. Right. So do you notice things that you say in a sales conversation where your, your prospects kind of start nodding their head and, and, and you realize, okay, they, they kind of get that. we Oh, are absolutely. Ex- absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, just so that for, to kind of, for the folks at home to, to just get a flavor of that, like what, what sorts of things are, and, and I'm not asking you to like give away sales secrets or anything like that, sure. but just to sort of flesh this out a bit. Yeah. I mean, in my space, if I'm selling, if I'm selling, I mean, if I'm selling anything in digital marketing, mm-hmm. they want to know that we have a thoughtful process. Okay. Cause remember what I'm selling against in a lot of cases, I'm selling against a freelancer who, pro- who know, they probably know AdWords, but they don't, they don't know how to structure a client engagement. Okay. Um, and, and really turn, turn their knowledge into a process that they can follow uh, that gives them confidence. So, so that's usually, that's like one of the biggest things um, right. when I'm talking about SEO, people nod their head when I say, you know, content, generating content is expensive and time consuming. So mm-hmm. we always talk about efficient ways to generate content. Same thing with link building, you know, it's hard. So they'll nod their head and I'll give them some ideas and, and maybe they'll get excited about the ideas that I bring forward. Right. Um, and then, and then also technical issues on their site. If I, if I talk about something I notice that's broken, they'll nod their head and, and, right. you know, I can tell them, I can tell them how to fix it. They can do it themselves or I can help them. Right. Um, and usually they hire us to help them. So in your world, where's the line between strategy and, and implementation? Like what, what is, I mean, what does the strategy look like? Yeah. I mean, it's great for you to mention that because the strategy projects are definitely better projects mm. because it's basically us just, you know, doing some research and using our experience to make some recommendations about how to move forward. Okay. And, and that might be fixing technical issues. It might be content development. It might be link building, something like that. So for us, if we're, if we're doing research and, and basically writing recommendations documents, uh, then that's a strategy project. If we're implementing the recommendations, maybe we're fixing, you know, writing code to fix something on the site or we're optimizing content, like we're writing content for their site mm-hmm. or, you know, sending emails for, for link building or writing content, then that's all execution. Right. Okay. So do you have clients who um, want to do the strategy themselves or do the implementation themselves? Does that... How does that well, the happen? The best fit for us is really a client that needs strategy. Right. And we're happy to help with the execution. But if they just need the execution, that's usually not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the thing is, they always need more than just the execution. I mean, they need somebody who knows what they're doing to do the execution. Right. So, so in my book, that's strategy and execution. Right. But, but um, yeah, I mean, if they just need somebody to, to write articles, then they'd hire a writer. So how much of the value do you see coming from strategy versus execution? If you, if you had to like allocate it as a percentage of the value. I, so numerically, I wouldn't know how to allocate it, but both are really important. Okay. 
<laughs> because I mean, I know, I know people who come to me who are executing on what they think they should be doing and getting nowhere. And that's why they called me. I get that call a lot. Yeah. So they'll say, Hey Dale, we're doing a lot of, you know, content, a lot of link building, or, you know, I got a developer, he's fixing the site, but it's just not moving the needle. Like I see a lot of that. Right. And, and they're missing the strategy piece. Like they're just putting their effort in the wrong place. And then, and then there are other people who um, are, I, I, you know, I do, I do have clients call me who are, they've been doing SEO for a long time or, you know, might be PPC or, or different, a different service, but they've been doing it for a long time, but they still want to level up or they still need, I mean, they might, they might know digital marketing enough that they don't want to just go out and hire an intern to do whatever it is they're trying to do. Right. They want somebody who knows AdWords or knows Facebook or, or something like that to do the implementation. Um, but I get, I get that call a lot too. So how does, you know, like, does at some point, I'm curious about the expertise that you've built and um, like any answer to this is fine, but I'm curious, is it a hundred percent portable or does, does it start to become specific to e-commerce the deeper you go into it? I think both. Okay. Um, Cause there's a lot that, of what we do. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like the fact that we're focused on e-commerce just mm-hmm. opens up a whole world of capabilities that we can build out. Um, and that's super important and that's a huge benefit of specializing. Yeah. Um, but it is also true that a, a lot of, a lot of what we know is portable. Right. And to that extent, it, it ends up being a little arbitrary, right? That we chose this one market until you start to realize that we chose the market for a reason um, around, you know, the partnership opportunities and things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I call that addressing marketing inefficiencies. It just it's like it sounds like it's easier for you to attract clients in in the ecosystem that offers these kind of features that e-commerce does. Yeah. Um and and it's it's the right market for us and now that we've chosen it we you know we have the right relationships, we have the right capabilities. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, when you're doing e-commerce, you're optimizing product pages. So, you know, all of our marketing material specifically talks about optimizing product pages. That's, that's compelling if you're in the e-commerce space or you're selling a product that is not compelling if you're in like the education lead gen or financial space. Right. Or, you know, like a big publication, like, I guess, I don't know, the New York times, like that just doesn't translate at all. Yeah. If you're a publisher, that's, that's different. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I mean, if we write content or, you know, I do a podcast or I do a speaking engagement, um, I want, I want my content to sound like it was written for the persona that we are targeting in the e-commerce space. Right. So with, you know, with a lot of your clients in the same space, do you ever have like conflict of interest concerns or clients saying, oh, you you can work for us, but you can't work for one of our competitors. Yeah, that's definitely come up. Um, it's not, it hasn't, I mean, that's, that's something that I thought would be a problem. That's just not a problem. Got it. Honest. Okay. So it's, it's somewhat rare. Yeah, it's very rare. How do you handle that? I'm, I'm curious when it. Ah, yes. So um, 
what I say is that, you know, my ability to work is the most important thing I have. Yeah. You know, I, I have a family, I'm saving for my kids college, you know, my ability to work is what, what enables me to do all of those things. So yeah. I need to be really careful about restricting my ability to work. That's fundamental. And, you know, in the person I'm talking to, you know, I'll make sure that they personalize it a little bit. You know, they, they have an ability to work too, and they protect their ability to work. Um, and I'm sure that's just as important to them. Right. And, and then what I'll tell them is I'll say, you know, I, I can't restrict an industry. Like if, if I was working for an ice cream shop, I can't say I won't work for any other ice cream shops like that, that, that I just won't do. Mm-hmm. But if you want to give me a short list of competitors that you don't want me to work for, um, I will review that and, and tell you if it's something that I can do. Beautiful. And, and I also tell them that it needs to be time limited. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing I tell them. I said, and, and also just, this is what I'll say. I'll say, just to be clear, um, this, you know, prohibition on working with this short list of, of clients, it, it, it's only effective while we are still under contract. Right. There's no two years after, or it's like, no, if you're paying me monthly, <laughs> then it holds. As soon as you stop paying me, I can work for these people. Um, but then the other thing that's super important is you, like I will, before I say any of that, I will remind them that as part of the contract they're going to sign with me, there's confidentiality agreements. And then I just go into some detail about what we do to affect their, to protect their confidentiality. Uh-huh. And then I launch into, I need my ability to work, send me a short list. I'll let you know, um, that sort of thing. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, last question is, is that. You know, I, I my my sort of overarching goal here is to help folks who don't haven't specialized and developed this kind of expertise to understand what it's like to. I mean, one side of the coin is to say to have that kind of power <laughs> that the expertise gives you, and the other side of the coin is is just to understand what it's like to be able to deliver value like that. So, do you have any uh, particular memories of kind of? creating eyebrow raising moments for your clients where your expertise just is like surprising to them. Yes. Um, I can say that that happens a lot. Okay. The reason why that happens a lot is because I, I mean, I, I get a lot of leads now. Um, so I'll do anywhere from like five to 10 initial sales calls a week, which is okay. awesome. That's like, great. Not that way when I first started, but yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's directly out of the specialization. Um, but there are plenty of people that I talk to who are just blown away by, you know, the depth of knowledge that we have in their particular space. Um, that's awesome. Okay. And, and, and what I want to add to that, which mm-hmm. is you and I have been talking about like a specialization in e-commerce, but um we're we're also thinking about like what within e-commerce, right? Because like we've had a lot of apparel clients. Okay. So you know, you, Philip, the next time you and I talk, we could be in an apparel marketing agency, right? You know, and that could make sense. So um, that's that's actually what I'm thinking about. I mean, I I think that we've built up we've built up some good momentum where we're at with the partnerships we have and um, you know the marketing that we've been doing, and I I think that momentum is going to last us probably through 2019, but I am thinking about the next step and there will need to be a next step at some point. Um, markets get saturated. Um, like 
the markets move, yeah. uh, the markets change, um, the 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 partners that I'm working with are going to evolve. The software platforms that have been super supportive, they're going to evolve. Yeah. So I am always thinking about what that next step is, and it could be it could be away from e-commerce, or it could be a niche within e-commerce. Um, it could be Amazon, you know. Um, but I'm always thinking about that. Yeah, and I am sort of curious, like how how will you make that decision? What what information do you need to make that decision? Yeah. The funny thing is like, I'm in the same position now that I've always been in, which is I've got some things that are working and I'm trying to figure out how to get to the next step. Right. And I've been in that situation for eight years. Right. So the way I will think about it is the way I've always thought about it, which is I'm constantly paying attention in all of the calls that I'm having as to what, what people are looking for, where the market is heading, um, definitely the questions that people ask me change. Um, there was a time that nobody asked me about Shopify. Now half of the people who call me are on the Shopify platform. Right. That's interesting. What does that mean? I, I got to figure that out. Right. And there was a time that nobody asked me about how to sell on Amazon. Now I have that conversation a lot. Um, Amazon's advertising network didn't even exist a while back. Now, now um, it's, it's quite effective. Right. Um, there will be, well, there will be new platforms or in the, in the next year, um, in the next 12 months, there will be new platforms. So always, always paying attention to that. And then the other thing that I'm always paying attention to is where we have generated, um, you know, eyebrow raising results as you right. call it. Yeah. So can I write a case study about this and who would care? Is it somebody in a particular industry? Is it somebody on a particular platform? Is it, is, like, what is it? Like who would care? And then I, I'm, I'm trying to always trying to do experiments to, to get that out there to them. And that's either, you know, me running an event, hosting an event. Um, we actually do a bunch of that or me attending a conference and talking about something we've done or speaking at a conference and talking about a case study of something we've done or sending a bunch of emails like mm -hmm. or, or LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is a channel that we've used to test it. Right. Dale, there's so much in this conversation that I think, um, folks listening can learn from. So I want to thank you for just being so generous and sharing all of that. Oh yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I want to thank you, Philip, because I mean, the, the first conversation that you and I had, I mean, you and I worked together, I think over the course of several conversations um, and you really pushed me in this direction. I, I think I had, I had the tools to, to do the testing and to, to really figure things out over time but I appreciate you uh, pushing me down the path of specialization because that's, that's really what has made a huge difference in, in the success that we've had. I'm so glad to hear that. So Dale, where can folks go to find out more, connect with you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm always happy to talk about anything related to digital marketing. If you're in the e-commerce space, even better. Um, my website is fireandspark.com and I don't mind sharing my email address. I'm dale at fireandspark.com, all spelled out. So always happy to talk to anybody listening to this who might have a question related to e-commerce or related to digital marketing. Thanks so much, Dale. That's my conversation with Dale Bertrand. What did you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. Just email me, philip at philipmorganconsulting.com.